Amen, right on. We're uh, having a fun time playing with this series called How to Wreck Your Life. And the idea is there's some surefire ways that you can definitely mess things up in your life. There's things that scripture say, hey, if you do this, it's not going to end well. Or if you just have this way of living about you that's not right, it's going to end wrong. Amen. And, uh, and so we've been just having some fun, taking a look at it a different way. And uh, I promise you, especially in the years of ministry, I just turned 35. And so on the back end of my life here, now that I'm old, I, uh, I've definitely learned, I've definitely learned patterns of like, man, if that continues, this will surely happen in their life, in people's lives. And as we meet with people and see things, it's, it's so easy to just see when you live outside the principles of God's way, and you can guarantee that these things are going to happen. And so we're just looking at this. What are, what are some of those things that, are, that if you do that, it's sure to wreck your life? And so today, I want to talk about one of the really easy ways to ruin your life or to wreck your life is to live a negative and dissatisfied life. To just be a person who's okay being dissatisfied, being okay being negative, just being okay, uh, just being just mad at everything, everybody gets everything wrong. And unfortunately, we actually have a reputation in the world as Christians being that way. Oh, here comes the bullhorn guy. Here comes that Christian getting ready to be angry at me, right? We've seen it. We just have this negative thing about it. And it's so weird because the scripture says we're, we're supposed to be the light of the, you know, Jesus has come and he's in us and he's the light of the world. And we're supposed to drive out darkness. We're supposed to actually be this, this appealing or attractive thing to the world. Where God chose to use us to draw people unto him. And yet we have like this resting Christian face. I don't like that. I don't like that. They shouldn't do that. That's not how we used to do it. Right? Are you with me? Do you know any of them? And, it, and it's just a surefire way to not only ruin your life, but to also ruin your influence in your communities and, ru- and ruin your witness and your, your testimony unto other people. Amen? So Paul actually talks a lot about uh, just different ways to live, but I love this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, he says it this way, and this is actually how he closes up this book of the Bible, uh, which I believe is the 11th of the New Testament. He wraps it up in one of his uh, sentences or what verses. He says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so many of us maybe growing up in church have heard that, but he's saying all of these things and he's written all of these letters and he says all of this stuff. And in that there's all these promises, there's all these guarantees, there's all of these great things that happen. And even though there's all of that, he still makes a point to say, hey, don't forget, even though all of this good stuff and even though all of these promises, make sure you have a lifestyle of rejoicing. Basically what he's saying is, Re, making rejoice, rejoying yourself. Uh, the meaning of it here is to be a person who knows how to rejoy. How many of you in your life ever have to rejoy? You're going through your day and you're like, I have got to find a way to break this off me and rejoy. Uh, another definition of it is to be somebody who reignites in the Lord. And so there's so much power or there's so much strength to this scripture because it's saying a couple things here. The one thing it's saying is like, look, It's expected of us to be a people who are joyful in God. Kind of meaning like you don't get an option to be a cranky Christian. You're called to be somebody who's joyous in the Lord. 
that you have joy, that you have, you have a, a, a something that people are drawn to. And then he says, and, and, and I'm actually going to say it again. So rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. The reason he's doubling down on it is because it's something we have to work at. Yeah. It doesn't come natural. I don't know about you, but it's been a few years before I got like so excited to get out of bed. I mean, each day that goes on, there needs to be a little bit more rejoy at the beginning of every day. Because I'm, again, I'm, I'm on the downside, 35, I'm over the, you know, it's, but you know what I'm saying? Like, just the more we do this thing, the harder stuff gets. I mean, how many of you have ever got down on the floor recently? I'm down there like category, like thinking, strategizing, what's the best way for me to get off the floor? Is there something I can grab? Is it out of line if I text Jess to help? She can't help. She's pregnant. She's stuck somewhere, too. <laughs> the kids, Caroline's five. She's old enough. She could help me out. <laughs> but you know the truth is, like, it's hard to stay joyful and, and, and full of zeal and energetic and keep that because there's just so much going on in life and in this world. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where negativity sells. It sells. I mean, it's what people click on. It's what they buy into. It's what they watch. And so this idea of staying rejoiced, it's, it's even more important than it's ever been. This rejoice, it's a verb. It's an action. It's something we have to do. Paul is saying, make up your mind to do this. Uh, there's trees. Many of you know of them. The redwood seed, uh, many of them out in California. But what's interesting about these redwood seeds, the seeds of these trees, is that uh, many of you have maybe heard me say this before. But a redwood seed tree, they're the largest trees around, and I'll get into some of the data about them. But of their seed, it essentially works like a flake on an acorn type thing that falls. But this flake weighs less than one three thousandths of an ounce. So, so the seed that goes in the ground and produces like one of the most massive results in, in, in our world uh, all starts as less than one three thousandths of an ounce. Ounce. If that's planted, it has the potential to be one of the world's largest trees. In Northern California, there's a redwood tree called the General Sherman. It's 275 feet tall. It is the largest tree in the world in sheer mass. If you cut it, 23 bedroom homes could be built just from that one tree. Uh, there's another one. It's the world's tallest redwood tree. It's 367 feet tall. It's five stories taller than the Statue of Liberty. So just think, on that one tree that started as what I said earlier, one less than one three thousandths of an ounce is now become this thing five times taller than the Statue of Liberty. And what's interesting is Jesus said that our decision-making works like planting seed. What you sow, you will reap. And so if we apply, apply this to our attitudes... If we apply this to the way that we approach people and we say, hey, listen, something that you think is so small, planted, has the ability to produce something massive, and it lives on. Do you know that some of these redwood trees are over 2,500 years old? So you can plant something that goes on. How many of you know generationally and generationally, we know that that can happen in the choices that we make. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying that it's not actually okay if you just say things and we do this all the time just let me have my morning or just let me i'm having a bad day just let me have my day right how many of you ever do that we justify a bad attitude or a bad week or we get up and you say well you know this week is gonna be 
and we already buy into the decision or the choice make of how we're going to act or react to certain situations. None of you in here. <laughs> but I'm serious. You'll go, into my, you'll, go into, you'll go into rooms. You'll go into meetings. You'll go into gatherings. You'll go into places. And your mind is made up how you're already going to act in it. But what you need to understand is you're planting a seed and that could live on for generations. I thought about it like this. Have you ever noticed that the most negative people you know have the most negative lives? That's weird, right? <laughs> you just get around someone that hates this. And, oh, my kids are crazy, and my boss is stupid, and my husband's no good, and I hate this, and I hate that. And you get and you spend some time around those people, and all of a sudden you realize their life kind of is that. <laughs> their kids are kind of crazy. Their husband is kind of, and their job is kind of a, Right? <laughs> And it's just because negative has been sown and sown and sown, and they keep planting that and saying that and saying that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And so it's important for us to, to realize that what you say, and we're going to read the scripture here in a minute, but what you speak, you're going to have. What you say, you're going to see. Yeah. I realize this is real practical, but I'm telling you, a surefire way to wreck and destroy every area of your life is to just keep speaking negative over it. Uh, even people in your life that are just negative. You, you know, and here's the thing. It's actually okay to have people in your life that challenge the process. That's a good thing. People come in and, and they challenge you. That's actually a, a, a form of wisdom. When people come in and they can say, yeah, but have you thought about that? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? But some people are in your life and they're just negative people. Amen. Yeah. And here's a way that you can test this. Again, me being over 35 and being on the downside of everything, I've learned this. <laughs> I keep saying that. I shouldn't say it, right? I'm preaching a message about saying it. I'm a, <clears throat> a young buck. Thanks, Andy. Uh, so, so, so here's the truth. The longer I do this, the more that I can realize this. Negative people who just want to be negative are negative all the time. People who care about you and want to speak wisdom to you or have your back and are sometimes critical are, are people who also know how to give you the positive. So I don't listen to the people who are always negative. Those are the haters. Haters, haters, always hating. They're coming in. All they got is something negative to say. But if I have somebody in my life who knows how to do both, speak wisdom, ask a question, be a little bit critical, challenge the process, but at the same time, they're also life-giving and positive, those are the people that you listen to their balance. You understand? And so I think it's just good for us to have people who challenge you. But, but the people that are always negative in your life, you need to remove. Because you're going to learn that pattern as well. Amen? So the scripture, like we said, in Proverbs 18.21, it says, Life and death is in the power of the tongue. The New Living Translation says, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Proverbs 18.21. The, the tongue can bring life or death, those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Meaning you're, you're going to have that in your life. Whatever you say, whatever you speak, whatever you put, we know this, that God framed the world by his words. He said, let there be, and he spoke and there was. Well, we know this, that uh, our lives, if we're called to be imitators of God, what we say, we will see. Are you with me? So there's this verse here in Acts chapter 2 begins to talk about how we should live as believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's called the fellowship of the believer. This is kind of the beginning of the New Testament and how God has called us to live and, and putting all this together. Acts 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship 
to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. This is the part I want to focus on. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Didn't sound like cranky Christians. Didn't sound like bullhorn guys getting together. It didn't sound like people getting ready to reshare and smack down people. It said that they got together and they had glad and sincere. One translation says joyful hearts. Then it says praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One translation says it like this. It says every meal a celebration exuberant and joyful as they praised God, people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were being saved. Isn't that a cool way to say it? That they were joyful and people liked what they saw and therefore salvations happened. I wish that was being said about the church in America. That as we game, came together in unity and oneness and as we celebrated what God did in our life and we had so much joy in our life that when the world looked on it, they said, hey, I'm drawn to that. I'm attracted to that. I, I want to get in on that. Amen. And that's the, that's the New Testament church that God called us to be, is be these people who are this light that shines. And it, and it comes through this positive, this unity, this living a life where you're content with what God has done in your life. It says they gathered and they praised God for all that they had. People say about this time of living, there's some writers that said they were so grateful and thankful for all that had taken place. Remember, the Messiah came and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Everything that they wholly cared about happened. So therefore, everything else didn't even matter. It didn't even hold weight. One, write, one writer said it was to them every day. It was as if the resurrection was still happening. Because think about it, for them, for years, they, they, they waited on a Messiah, and they waited for the thing, and it's finally come. And so that's why they could gather together and give thanks every day, because anything that mattered to them has already come. So let's just make sure we got each other taken care of, and let's just celebrate what God has done. I believe that's the way God has called us to do it. Amen? They were always satisfied because they were content in God. Amen? I thought about it like this. Have you ever noticed the most positive people have the most positive lives? I mean, seriously, like you have those friends that are just so positive about everything. I mean, so positive about everything. Like you could have the worst day and you get around them and you're just like, this is a great day. And they're like, we just, I have the best kids and I just have the best boss. And you're like trying to sell your kids to be with their kids and go to their work. It's like, I love the, the, the most positive people have the most positive life. Why? Because they're speaking into existence and they're believing it and they're putting it into motion. Amen. John chapter 13, verse 35 in the New Living Translation, it says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not your resting Christian face. We got to get it right. No, it's your love for one another. It's how you care for one another. It's your, it's your joy and your passion and your love that you have toward one another. The world's going to look on and be like, man, I want some of that. Amen. I thought about it like this. You can't live a positive life with a negative attitude. It's impossible for you to get a positive result with a negative attitude in your life. Amen? I'd say it like this. You can't lead somebody to a positive life with a negative attitude. 
You can't be a witness and you can't be disciples unto him if all you want to do is be negative and down and irritable and all you want to be is this, this picking at everything and tearing everybody down, trying to compare to what you do. You're not going to be able to lead somebody in what you need to with that kind of attitude. John Maxwell says it like this, leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is influence. It's pretty hard to influence people when you're so negative. How many of you have ever really wanted to be influenced and inspired by somebody who's so negative all the time? Somebody who's so down all the time. It's hard to influence and lead people when we're, amen. And so it's, it's about, we, we got to get this right because people are depending on it. Amen. That's why 2 Corinthians says this uh, in verse, or chapter 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is negativity. There is judgment all the time. Where the spirit of the Lord is, we get them. No, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's joy, the scripture says, in the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? Can we say Holy Ghost in this church? <laughs> But there's joy in it. There's fullness of God. Those all speak to affirming, life-giving, positive things in the kingdom of God. We can't let this church be a scorecard, judgmental. Amen. Because in where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You know, the scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So then if the joy of the Lord is our strength, then that means negativity is our weakness. That means negativity, a life of negativity, makes you weak in the kingdom of God. Makes you susceptible to being taken out and being pulled down if we let ourselves stay negative. Amen. But we do live in a culture where negativity sells. I have a 2016 uh, Ford F-150, and I get things in the mail recently, like hitting that two-year mark. I'm not sure what's new, uh, 2019 or whatever the new version of a car is, but you know, they sell them like three years in advance. You can get like a 2023 or something. But, but I get these specific flyers from the dealership now. And the way that they address them to me, the way, what they put on them, they list. I got one the other day that listed all of the things that the new cars have that mine doesn't. So it was like, hey, just so you know, uh, if you get a new one, you get all of these things. Yours doesn't have it because you're a loser. <laughs> But what a culture of dissatisfaction that we're trying to build, right? And so I got that flyer, and I was like, oh, no. I'm, I hate my life. I, I'm so negative all day because I didn't have those things. But our culture tries to do that to us. Surely you can't have joy. Surely you can't be happy. Surely you can't be satisfied unless you make it to that neighborhood or get to that thing or get that thing. Surely you won't be happy. And it's just so the opposite of how God's called us to live. In him is fullness of joy. Amen. Is everything that you need. Amen. I thought about our lives, you know, really pretty much everything you have now, or, or for most of us, and, and some of us are in different scenarios, but a lot of us end up living in what you prayed for years ago. I even think about this church or just being in Zealand or so much of this was once a dream. But I'll tell you this, I have negative days or I'm, I'm upset and I'm irritable with the way that things are. And it's like, it wasn't too long ago, this was a dream. Yeah. Obviously still a dream, but I'm just saying, in our minds we thought, oh, if we could ever just get this, we would be, and now we're in it. And there's still that temptation of negativity and dissatisfaction because culture and the enemy tries to do that to you. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. Amen. Amen. Harvard says this, 
exposed to a single negative word more than once a day can dramatically alter your brain structure. So literally the way that you think, the way that you're wired, the way that you react, the way that you dream and anticipate can literally be reprogrammed by exposure to negativity. That's why you can't run around the house negative to the kids, negative to your husband, negative to your wife, negative about the boss, negative about everything, because you're programming minds to then live that way. They say that people learn nine times faster through encouragement. It's just such a better way for us to live in the positive side of things. We say it all the time around here. People will rise or fall to the level of your praise. If we talk about people down here, that's all they're going to get to. But if we talk about people up here, that's what they're going to rise to. We have to choose how we want to talk about things. Amen. And it's important to have standard and value and set boundaries and put things in place. But let's do it in a way that we're believing the best of people. Amen. I believe this, that negativity is contagious. Uh, I said it in the prayer room when we talked a little bit about this sermon. I said, hey, Sharon on this and Sharon. And we started talking a few things about negativity. And everybody said the thing about negativity is it's contagious. It gets on people. It gets around things. There's no better way to ruin your home atmosphere, your marriage atmosphere, your work atmosphere than to be somebody who's negative. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. So that's the problem. When we reprogram our minds to be negative, it gets in us and then it becomes who we are. We, we, we've got to rest in that joy of the Lord and, and be in Christ. Amen. I'll close with this. A little bit of how do we do this? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says this, but encourage one another daily, daily, not just Sunday, not just book study. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. <laughs> so that's a pretty good time to do it. As long as the day is today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What this scripture is saying is that we can literally prevent sin in other people's lives by encouraging them daily, speaking God's word over them, speaking life into them, loving them towards God. Amen. You can literally help people fall or from falling into sin. Scripture says about David, how King David found strength in the Lord and how, how King David kept from being negative. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. One version of it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. He didn't strengthen himself in entertainment when he was having a bad day. He didn't strengthen himself in the in company of people. And all those things are fine. But it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. He got with God and said, God, I got to get out of this thing. I got to use some of your word. I got to use some of this stuff. And I'm not going to stay in that place. I got to get out of this thing. So for some of you, it's what you write on the mirror, the rearview mirror, stick in your car, whatever you got to do to stay out of that. It's you strengthen yourself in the Lord to avoid it. Amen. Because Proverbs 11:27 says this, whoever seeks good finds favor but evil comes to the one who searches for it. If you want to be negative, if you want to be dissatisfied, if you want to be cranky, if you want to be seeking after all of the worst of life, you're going to find it and it's going to become you. But if you want to be somebody who's seeking good, you're going to find favor in your life. We, we have to keep our eyes on what God is doing and the move that's taking place. All throughout scripture, the commands were like, hey, don't forget what God has done or build a statue, make a monument, stack stones to remember what God has done. Why? Because it helps you from getting negative. Yeah. 
in remembering all that God has done in your life. Amen?